Amen. As you can see, I'm kind of, I'm a little riled up about this. And I think that we need to have the heart that the Lord would have. Grieved at sin, but compassionate for those controlled by it. This morning, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts. So if you've not yet turned there, Acts chapter 24. This is before Kings, and this is the third installment, if you will, part three of our last study. Well, not our last study, our our last series of studies through uh, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Just by a way of recap, if you're joining with us for the first time this morning or need a little refresher from last Sunday, Paul was arrested for preaching to the Jews. They tried to beat him, and the Roman commander, Lysias, came, saved him, brought him out of there, and uh, the Jews plotted 40 men at least that said, I will not eat, I'm not going to drink, we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink until we kill Paul. It just so happened that Paul's nephew heard that that conspiracy was being uh, formed and he went and told Paul whom then in return went and told or told his nephew to go tell the commander and so they uh, created, they, they, they got a Roman escort for Paul, sent him out at night so that they, they could avoid any confrontation. Some 400, I think, I think I mentioned 72, if I'm not mistaken, 472 men, Roman soldiers escorted uh, Paul to his desired uh, destination. Uh, where he is in Caesarea. So now as he's before the governor, Felix, we see point number one is the actor. As the Jews send their delegation before the governor, Felix, the Roman governor, Felix, we see point number one of three points that we have this morning, the actor. Now after five days, verse one, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. And these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. So, the Jews determined to get Paul one way or the other. I mean, as I mentioned, there are still those 40 or so men that have vowed to not eat or drink until Paul was snuffed out, so to speak, out there somewhere. But before we get into verse 2, by way of overview, we need to be reminded of something because this verse 1 is important in the chronology or just basically us knowing where everything fits in with the breakdown of the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is divided into 18 addresses or 18 speeches. We said this I think on either week one or two in our study through the book of Acts. Paul and Peter each have seven each. Okay, so they each have seven, so that means 14 out of the 18 uh, speeches are Peter and Paul, which leaves four left over. Of the remaining four, Stephen, James, and Gamaliel took up Acts chapter 5 with Gamaliel, Stephen was Acts chapter 7, James was Acts 15, and now Tertullus, they each have one apiece, and this is Acts chapter 24. This man, Tertullus, was a lawyer hired by the Jews to present their case against Paul. He was very articulate, knowledgeable, both of the Jewish and Roman laws. He was the the heavy hitter, the smooth talker that the Jews employed to schmooze uh, the governor, Felix. And in verse 2 it says, and when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, 
We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Well, right off the bat, this was a load of baloney. There's nothing really quite like people trying to flatter you in order to get something from you. You know, there you are, you're working out, and uh, you've lost all this weight or whatever it might be. And they're like, whoa, did you lose some weight? Turn sideways. Where'd you go? Oh, can I have 20 bucks? All right. And it's like you, you, you manipulate people to, to get something that you want. And so here's this guy. Oh, you know, we have this prosperity and we're so thankful for you. And it's your foresight that we enjoy because of your foresight that we enjoy such great peace. Felix, according to history, was a very cruel and licentious man. He was known uh, for being accessible to bribes and for being influential in the increase of crime in Judea during his rule. Furthermore, during the period that he ruled, there were internal feuds and disturbances that plagued his reign. Uh, he was even accused uh, as uh, uh, using feuds between two people, and I'll give you a little more details about that later on, using feuds between people groups as pretext for slaughtering them and plundering their goods. And so... This man, Tertullus, is like, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? In Jude 1, verse 16, it says, in the New Living Translation, it says, These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. This is not something that we want to be found doing as Christians. But this was indeed the case for this man. Verse 4, Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. The actor, the man that had come in, the smooth talker that knew all of the laws of the, of the Romans and, and of the Jews. And, and he is set to destroy Paul. And I love how God will always work things out even when you feel like you're the underdog. Or you're my, you might not be as knowledgeable and so on and so forth. We see the actor and now let's look at point number two, the accusation. Verse 5, For we have found this man, referring to Paul, a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Let's look at the things that Paul was accused of being. A plague. This man is a disease to society. The very presence of his life is destroying our way of life. I think in the context of our own country, we can sort of relate. He's a hater. He's narrow-minded. He's a follower of the Nazarene named Jesus. Somebody that needs to be done away with. Somebody that needs to be extinguished. He's a plague. Causing division. He causes nothing but problems. He stirs things up. He doesn't go with the flow. He moves people to have division in their conscience and in their spirit. The, <laughs> I mean, are you serious? A plague to society? It sounds a lot like what the church is being made out to be. 
plague to society, causing division. Because if you didn't have anything to say, then we would just all go on this wide path that leads to destruction. You stir things up, you don't go with the flow, and you cause division in our conscience where we actually have to think about whether or not what we are doing is right. Ringleader of the church, they said. The ringleader. And if that were enough already, he's the one who stands. And the word ringleader in the Greek can be translated as this. One who stands in the front rank. A leader. A chief. A champion. As a Christian, that's not derogatory. That's actually complimentary. He's a plague to what's evil in this world. He causes division in showing people that there is a right and a wrong. And not only that, he's the champion for that cause. He helps other people follow Jesus. He teaches them about God's word pertaining to Jesus. He presents, listen to this, an alternative to the normal way of life. He not only helps other people follow Jesus, but he helps other people help other people follow Jesus. The things I just mentioned were indeed true. Tertullus was presenting Paul as the leader of yet another rebel group, this sect of the Nazarenes that needed to be crushed by the power of the Roman Empire. Presenting what is good as evil so that what is evil can be accepted as what is good. In verse 6, He even tried, speaking of Paul, to profane the temple and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Tertullus was lying through his teeth. As you recall, Paul was speaking to the Jews, and they mobbed him and started beating him to death. Lysias actually saved Paul from the hands of the Jews, the violent outbreak of the mob trying to kill him. The reversal, the the twisting it around. So we see the actor, we see the accusation, which leads us to point number three, the defense. And so it begins here, Paul making his defense of the gospel to which he was called to preach. If you're taking notes, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 says this, Peter writing, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Be ready to give a defense to everyone by having sanctified the Lord God in our hearts. Be humble, be respectful, be loving, have a good conscience. I like what Peter says here. Better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. Have you ever thought about that? See, the only suffering we will experience for doing good is from man and is contained by this life on this earth. 
That is the only suffering that we will ever have for doing what is good. It will only be by man, and it will only be for a limited amount of time. Conversely, the suffering we will experience for doing evil transcends this life, this world, and remains for eternity. So it is way better to suffer for what is doing, for doing good, than to suffer for doing that which is evil. That has eternal consequences. That suffering continues forever. It is truly better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. And we need to be reminded of that this morning. Paul was suffering for doing good, but that afforded him an audience with the governor. Who knows what doors will be opened because of our decision to follow the Word of God. Who knows what people group or what individual may be able to be reached that would never have this opportunity unless... Because of a great difficulty, because of being persecuted for doing what is good, that opportunity was brought about. Paul suffered for doing good, and as I mentioned, he now had an audience with the governor. In Mark 13, verse 9, and Luke 21, verse 12, and this is continuing in the theme of even our series, it says, Jesus speaking, but watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my sake for a testimony to them. Before kings, we're talking about this. Our series was Paul's journey to go before rulers. And eventually, you know, the emperor. In Mark 13, 11, Jesus said, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, and you know, that's something we used to joke about a lot. You know, hey, if we're sitting in prison one day, but, you know, it seems that uh, that's something that's definitely more of a possibility than it ever has been. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you by the Holy Spirit in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. This promise applies to us as followers of Jesus, that the Lord will fill our mouths with the words to speak. Be confident in that. I don't know. No, the Lord will speak through you. Open your mouth. And this was the case with Paul. He had this man, this, like I, like I said, this articulate, professional communicator who was going to come before Felix and try to smooth things out to destroy Paul. And now Paul finds himself persecuted for doing that which is good, now standing in front of the Roman governor. Then Paul, after verse 10, the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, this is Paul speaking to Felix, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone or inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. Paul says what they're saying is all untrue, and because it's untrue, they cannot prove one single thing they're accusing me of. In verse 14, But this I confess to you, that according to the way, this is, remember, what they called the the followers of Jesus, that, that belief, according to the way, as we know, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Him. He says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, 
So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all the things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. In verses 14 and 15, I'd like to point out to you a, a few things, four things in particular, that I think it would be really good for you to underline or to highlight. Four things that Paul makes mention of. The first thing is this. I confess God. I confess God. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confess, uh, confession in the presence of many witnesses. He confesses God. I believe in God. I believe in God. This is going to be something that is going to be more difficult to do. I confess God. I believe it. I confess this to you. I confess God. Point number two. I worship God. I confess God. I worship God. John 4.24 God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. I profess Jesus before men. I confess that I'm a follower of God and I not only profess that, I exhibit that as I am a worshiper of God. I worship Him. So I confess God. I worship God. Thirdly, I believe God and what He says in His Word. In 2 Peter 1, verses 20-21, through 21, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I confess God, I worship God, I believe God, and furthermore, I believe what He says in His Word. And fourthly, He says, I hope in God. In Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? I feel over this weekend, we can ask ourselves that same question. But the psalmist says, in light of that being disquieted, being cast down, he says, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. Man, I confess God, I worship God, I believe God, and I hope in God. Though my body be destroyed, God will raise me again incorruptible. The resurrection. The resurrection. The resurrection of the dead is good and bad. I hope that catches some of you off guard. Why? The resurrection is good and bad. The reason being, number one, it is good for those who have lived their life for God, for they will receive great blessings and the reward of eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. It is bad for those who have not lived their life for God, for they will receive great wrath. Those that have followed the Lord, raised into eternal life, free from pain and sin and disease, and we talked a lot about this at house groups last week. For those that are not following the Lord, this is not a good thing. It's a very bad thing. For the wrath of God will be upon them. In verse 16, this being so, I myself always strive, Paul says, to have a good conscience without offense towards God and men. 
conscience is such an important thing, but something that, but it's something that many don't either have or have full use of much these days. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 2, Paul wrote and said, Some have had their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Seared. Yeah, can I, um, I like, uh, let's see here. Can I have four orders of, uh, of salmon? I like it seared on both sides with sea salt and lemon, please. And there you are at the sushi bar, and they either take a blowtorch or they put it on the grill, and it's so hot, it just goes, right there in front of you. Branded. Conscience seared, branded by the marks of sin, removing the feelings of disgust or repulsion or remorse. Well, that's just not right. Because our world today says, hey, if you feel like that, then you go for it. And all the feelings that you feel that all this doesn't seem right, because as much as we want to legislate something, as much as we want to encourage people to do stuff, as much as we say, go for it, here's a license, we'll throw money at it, you go for it. As much as all of that is available, deep down in the innermost parts of that human being's life is a feeling that this is not right. This is not right. It doesn't seem right. And what is happening in the world is the same, right now, is the same thing that has happened for centuries, is the same thing that is happening with Paul. Remove the person that causes a division in what we want to be doing. Remove the person that stirs up conscience or an awareness of evil being present. Remove that individual, remove that organization, remove anybody that will tell us what we're doing is wrong. Branded by the marks of sin, a conscience seared. In Romans 1.32 it says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, these people, knowing the righteous judgment of God, because, you know, we've talked about this, what does this mean? Can we now no longer read from the Bible when it says that certain lifestyles are a sin? You know, we might get to that point where it's 1 Corinthians and we're going to read chapter 6 and be like, um, I can't read what's in chapter 6, but all of you know how God feels about that lifestyle. Because people know. And what's happening is like, uh, you know, people want to come against the the individual that that believes in the Bible. They want to come against the church that believes in the Bible. But in essence, what's happening is it's an attack against Jesus and it's an ultimate attack against God. We didn't make up the rules. We, we We didn't come up with the Ten Commandments. We didn't create as the church, there's only one way to get to heaven. We didn't come up with those things. We didn't, oh, oh, let's think of this like, you know, let's put this. We did not come up with that. Jesus said, I am the only way to get to heaven. So the problem isn't with us. The problem ultimately is with what Jesus says. The problem isn't with us. It's with what God says in His Word. Romans 1.32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. In verse 17, after many years, Paul says, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. 
In the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with a tumult. Verse 19, Acts 24. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. In a court of law, here it is. There aren't any witnesses, Paul says. My accusers aren't even witnesses to the events they're accusing me of. They can't prove anything. Their argument holds no water. Oh, when Felix heard these things, verse 22, listen to this, having more accurate knowledge of the way, Felix the governor knew. He adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, who you know the Roman commander, the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. Now, we're not exactly sure how Felix knows, but he knows about this way, this Jesus, the followers of Christ. Somehow he knows. He's aware. And as we've kind of joked around about in the past, you know, like how come people that aren't Christians know more about what a Christian should look like sometimes than Christians do? Hey, I thought you were a Christian. Hey, I thought you weren't supposed to do that kind of thing. Somehow, Felix, the Roman governor, knows about this way. He has an accurate knowledge of it. Yet, in light of that, he still postpones making his decision. And this is crucial for our study as we wrap up here. So he commanded the centurion, verse 23, to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. This is the same Herod Agrippa that killed uh, James. This is the same Herod Agrippa that stood before the masses and the people cried out saying, The voice of a God and not of man! The voice of a God and not of man! whom in his pride received that, and it says the angel of the Lord struck him down and killed him. This is the same Herod Agrippa that arrested Peter, threw him into prison, and had every plans of turning him over to the Jews. But remember, the angel of the Lord came in the middle of the night and led Peter out of the prison. This is the same Herod Agrippa. So, Drusilla was married when she met Felix, actually, and she... Uh, was enticed away by Felix from her husband and eventually married Felix. So Drusilla was previously married. Her dad was Herod Agrippa I and Felix stole her away from her husband. This is the man, Felix, the Roman governor. And it says in verse 25, Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now and when I have a convenient time I will call for you. Now, in verse 25, let's look at the bullet points of Paul's message to Felix. Number one, righteousness. The way that man should live in order to please God. This was number one on Paul's list. If you're ever wondering, like, how do I prepare a message, or what things should I talk about, how should I... Righteousness. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So Paul's telling the governor Felix, hey man, this is how you live your life. 
your most excellent Felix. You probably wouldn't have said, hey man. So he said, your most excellent noble Felix. This is how you live a life that is pleasing to God. Secondly, with self-control. The ability to command control over emotions and their subsequent actions. Remember we talked about how we allow feelings to overcome the spiritual truths in the Word of God and how that ought not to be so? Well, I feel this, or I feel that, or, you know, I, this doesn't seem right, or whatever. No, we cannot allow the emotional state to supersede the spiritual state. Self-control, 2 Timothy 3, verses 2-4, through 4, it says, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Speaking of the end times, Paul gives a very vivid description of the, the, the type of morale that will be seen in the nations in the last days. The type of actions that will be rampant self-control thirdly he talks about the impending judgment the judgment to come Romans 2 verses 5 through 8 it says but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart you're treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory honor and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath is it is it unloving to tell somebody the things that they need to hear not what they want to hear It was no secret to any, anyone who Felix was and his lifestyle and his rulership and how corrupt he was. Yet Paul lists these things. Righteousness, Felix, this is how you need to live in order to please God. Self-control, something that you don't have the ability in your own self, in your own strength to control your emotions and the actions that follow after that. And then thirdly, God's going to judge those who do not live according to His law, according to His, his rules and His guidelines for, for life. Don't you understand this? And it says He became af- afraid. He says, go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Felix is more convenient time. Felix postponed and postponed making a decision about who Paul was and more importantly what he was all about. Later on in history, Tacitus, I think is the Roman historian that, said, that, 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 that describes the, that there was this feud between the Jews and the Greeks over whose city Caesarea belonged to. And there was this terrible, terrible uh, war that was happening, this little civil war because Felix wouldn't make a decision. He postponed you know, making a decision on bringing peace and what they needed to do. Eventually, what ended up happening is the Jews beat back the Greeks, took over the city. Yet Paul, uh, yet, yet uh, Tacitus says that, that Felix sided with the Greeks and then raised up the Roman army to destroy the Jews and hundreds of Jews were killed. 
Not only that, they targeted the wealthy Jews and told everyone you can ransack and pillage all uh, the wealth from those, those, those wealthy Jews. The word got to the emperor, Nero. And the Jews complained about this. And Felix was actually going to be executed. But one of Nero's close advisors happened to be Felix's brother, a guy named Pallas. And because of his influence, Felix was just banned and not executed. He was banished. He was set out, removed from his position. Felix lost his authority. Felix's, unfortunately, I might add, his more convenient time never came after this point that we're reading of right now. Paul, come back when it's a more, I'll have a more convenient time and I'll make a decision to whether I'm going to follow Jesus and listen to what you say. He never, it never came around. That convenient time never came. It never came. And so this morning, if you are in that place, whether, you have, whether you've walked away from the Lord or you've never put your faith in Him this morning and you're thinking more convenient time or a later time, the time is now. Right now. Right now to decide whether you're going to follow Jesus with your whole life or you're going to walk away from Him and stay distance from Him for eternity. You have to make that decision. You need to know where you stand and what you believe. For Felix, as I mentioned, his convenient time, his more convenient time never came. Verse 26, it says, Meanwhile, Felix also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix and Felix wanting to do the Jews a favor left Paul bound and that's where it ended that's where it ended Felix is now gone and we do not know what decision he made to follow Jesus or not the convenient time is right now 